2: fans all over the world it is time it is time for another strong session of into the net FC so sit back relax and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth the intensity on the pitch is about to go down. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bear of Texas. Welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, The Soccer Talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, and YouTube. As always, I am coming to you live from deep in the heart of Texas. It is once again my honor and my privilege to welcome back my good friend and my mentor in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Steve Adams.
0: Well, hey,
1: Alex. Well, we were beyond warm and sunny in Southern California. This has probably been the first time all summer that I've actually been in a hotter place than you. In our back patio it was actually up to 118 degrees on Saturday. And on Sunday, it was so hot, the wife and I, we went to the beach in Santa Monica, so we beat that. Uh supposed to be hot again today, like I think up in the 105 range. Uh, but then it's supposed to get a little bit better. But um, but again, a lot to talk about with the EPL starting up this week.
2: I'm very excited. Now, it remains to be, I still haven't heard the news when Manchester United will play their first game. But you know what? I'm just excited for the return of the EPL. I mean, it's been a very short wait, but you know what? I'm just ready to get to (laughs) it.
1: Well... And as much as I think a lot of people out there don't follow the the Nations League as as much, but uh, a little bit of news out of Iceland, which will have ramifications for the start of the two Manchester clubs uh, for the start of the EPL season, uh, Foden and Greenwood, as young men sometimes do on the road, they decided to keep, meet a couple of women at their hotel in Reykjavik, Iceland which under most years wouldn't really raise an eyebrow anywhere, but they totally broke COVID lockdown rules and isolation rules uh, with the teams. So this is going to affect, for in the case of Greenwood, it will affect his standing with Man U, because he's surely going to need to isolate for two weeks uh, after this. And then uh, Ben Foden of Man City, he's going to need to uh, be in isolation for a couple weeks after this. Uh, and obviously they're not going to be able to play for England in their next match, but as far as pertaining to the EPL, it's pretty big news that affects both both of the Manchester clubs.
2: It does, and you know, I, it's funny you mention that, because also, Neymar and Angel Di Maria, along with four other PSG players, tested positive, and Neymar's already been ruled out for uh, PSG's first uh, two games, including uh, the same game, which is Le Classique, so it's I, I get it. It sucks being in lockdown. It sucks having to follow these regulations. But look, we're all in this together. We're all tired of it. And we're all going to get through this together. And I, and I understand, you know, you're in Iceland. It's a very unique country. I mean, a person that would love to visit Iceland. But look, when you're representing a national team and you're playing soccer, you know, you have, you have to follow the regulations because, you know, your health is a top priority for the clubs because... If something bad happens to you, all because of negligence or just refusal to follow instructions, it makes not only you look bad, but it makes the club and even the national team look
1: bad. All I can say is I hope that these two young Icelandic gals were worth it. That's all I can say.
2: Well, you know what? In this case, that's all there is to ask those guys. Like, Were they worth it? Were they with it, fellas?
1: (laughs) But anyway.
2: So, this Saturday, I believe the first game is going to be Fulham versus Arsenal
1: yeah interesting way to start the season uh London Derby to start with uh Fulham's a team that was able to get their promotion to come up to the EPL um with you know some of the clubs that are coming up they don't have nearly the means of the the big clubs like Arsenal or Chelsea or Liverpool or the Manchester clubs Of uh, Fulham's big move in the offseason was they got um Wisa, who is a Cameroonian um, midfielder who played with uh, Villarreal in Spain last year, so they got him. Uh, Fulham, a lot of American fans will know as places where uh, Americans like uh, Clint Dempsey and Carlos Bocanegra, um, they played with a with a great deal of success. So, uh, so yeah, so they get a London derby to start their uh, return to the EPL.
2: And here's something that, that's super interesting about Fulham is that the owner Shahid Khan also owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, and uh, Shahid Khan's son owns AEW, the latest wrestling promotion that was launched late last year. Which, by the way, is a- absolutely amazing. I don't know how many uh, of us fo- followers who uh, listen to this are wrestling fans, but I'm sure y'all can agree that AEW is unique and one of a kind. And you know, it's it's always exciting, you know, to start with a L- with a London derby because. I don't know how many teams are in London. There's got to be at least six. I mean, London's a pretty big city. I mean, I've, I've been there only briefly, but, and I would love to go back, but I know London has a huge metropolitan area. I mean, one section of London has a club like there's the Tottenham, there's the Chelsea, West Ham United. I mean, the list goes on. So that's why London derbies are just so absolutely unique. And personally, there's not a better way to start an APL season, especially from a team that you know that's been recently promoted back to uh, the top flight.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is a city that is loaded with clubs, and I mean, this doesn't even include London clubs that have a lot of history, but are not currently in the EPL uh, teams like uh, Charlton, Millwall, uh, Queen's Park Rangers, these are all London clubs with a tremendous amount of tradition, but they're not in the top flight of English football at this time.
2: It's not, but you know what? In England, football is football. It's, you know, it's religion. to their just like American football is religion here in the state of Texas. They love their soccer, and we have to applaud them for it. Now, I want to talk about your club, Steve, Liverpool, because they also are starting the season in a unique way because they will take on Leeds United. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that, please.
1: Well, it's certainly, certainly a match that, particularly for, for you know, Old coots like me that remember the rivalries from the from the 70s and the 80s, uh, when uh, Leeds and Liverpool were were fighting it out for supremacy in uh, in England, it was quite the rivalry. And um, I'm thrilled to see the the Yorkshire club back in the top flight. Liverpool actually had a relatively quiet off season as far as its transfers. Uh, uh, Adam Lallana, uh, he left the club, and uh, Dejan Lovren. Uh, those are two have been two names that have been involved with Liverpool for quite a long time. For the last four or five years, they're gone. Uh, Liverpool decided to invest in the offseason for some defensive uh, reinforcements. Uh, they got Samikas, who's a Greek player, they got from Olympiakos, and I think their their feeling is they wanted him as a left back to be, if not a replacement, then to give Andy Robertson some competition at left back. And then they got uh, Grujic who is a central midfielder from Hertha Berlin. He's a Slovenian player. So they got him as some help at central mid. But um, otherwise, Liverpool had a fairly quiet offseason. And then also the kind of the surprise, for me anyway, just because his playing limit. Playing minutes have been so uh, decreased last year. uh, Shakiri, the Swiss player, um, you know he's he's still with the club. I figured that he was going to transfer out. So um, so it's it's a fun way to to start the season for for Liverpool and Leeds. A little bit of a a, a, a back to yesteryear uh,
0: match.
2: Very well said, and. Liverpool is my favorite to win the Premier League again. Because even though Liverpool, unfortunately, their uh, defense of the Champions League title (laughs) did not end uh, pleasantly, I still think Liverpool has that unique winning mentality. They're still motivated because, you know, the motivation comes from the fact that they lost early to Atletico Madrid. This motivates them to do better because it's unacceptable. And with all that talent, with Mohamed Salah, Mario Sané, the list goes on... Liverpool is loaded, and when they have a brilliant manager like Jurgen Klopp there, I think Liverpool is going to do great, and that's why. They are my favorite to win the Premier League again. And I think, I, I think the best thing to say was Manchester City is probably you know, going to come up short, finish in second. And I think Liverpool and Manchester City, they're going to be battling off the title for years to come, honestly. And Manchester United is probably going to be stuck in third and fourth place at the very most. Uh, this is merely a prediction, but in Premier League, anything can happen.
1: Well, and City lost uh, a couple of important players. Uh, David Silva, he left to go to Real Sociedad in Spain, and he had been such a good servant with the club, you know, during their run of uh, the last six, seven years. Uh, Leroy Sané, he left Man City to go to uh, the the European and German champs, Bayern Munich, uh, they did get uh, Torres from Valencia. He was a fairly high price signing in the off season, and then um, they got uh, Angelino, who was a young left back. They got him from uh, Leipzig. So, will Man City's gains be enough to make up for losing a couple of you know really really good players to, and to be able to challenge Liverpool? I don't know. I think I think Man City is going to be kind of down. Uh, a little bit, but, um, and it's a long season. It's such a grind between all those matches in the EPL and the FA Cup matches and Europe. Uh, Those, those matches all together, they really, really test the depth of your squad because you're going to get injuries over the course of the year. Can Liverpool stay healthy? And do they have it within them to play such prolonged, incredible ball like they did during the 19-20 season.
2: See, staying healthy is a very important thing to think about because it's worrisome for Liverpool and Manchester City, but it's also very worrisome for Manchester United and Chelsea. And speaking of Manchester United, I mean, it's been a fairly quiet offseason. I mean, I should say it's a very quiet offseason, although last week they, uh, they successfully brought in a young Dutch midfielder named Donny van de Beek, from Ajax. Young player who's very likely to do well, you know, alongside Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. Uh, as far as him playing immediately, I mean, I would assume he's very likely... I mean, I don't know if he's going to start, but he's probably going to be, you know, available. But as far, but for his transfers lately with Manchester United, I mean, it hasn't been good the last couple of years. I mean, Alexis Sanchez, you know, that transfer, we all know how that turned out. Romelu Lukaku, I mean, it was okay, but it just ultimately did not work out, so... With Manchester United, I mean, a lot of people are probably skeptical. I mean, a lot of people may doubt that this transfer will work, but we just have to wait and see. But as far as being healthy, I mean, I'm talking about Paul Pogba because Pogba tested positive also for COVID-19, which resulted in him being dropped from the French squad. And his um, status for uh, Game 1, even though it's delayed and we still don't know when their first game is going to be played, it's still unknown. But I would I would safely assume he's likely as a safety precaution. Even if he's cleared and he's healthy, they're probably just not going to have him play just as a safety precaution.
1: Well, uh, Van der Beek definitely a player uh, when Ajax made their run in the the Champions League in the, the previous season in eighteen nineteen, and they they made that incredible run in the Champions League, only to lose uh, to Tottenham. But uh, you know Ajax they just continue to crank out. Uh, really good young talent. Man U was able to unload Sanchez to enter Milan. Will Will Milan be able to maybe help resurrect his career? Because certainly Lukaku, uh, after he left, uh, Man U had started playing. Uh, he just started lighting the goals up when he was in Italy. But uh, the Sanchez signing definitely there's more than a few Man U fans who feel like he's probably the worst signing ever in the, in the history of the club, which is saying something.
2: I mean, it it will definitely go down as one of the worst signings of the club because fans will ask like, what did, what was something positive that came from the transfer? And they're likely to say absolutely nothing because nothing really did happen, but they've moved, both sides have moved on. So the best thing for Manchester United to do at this point is just forget about it. It's in the past Manchester United is building towards the future, the future. And that's what they have to focus on. And, you know, they're in the Champions League next year. And that and that means a lot because, you know, having, you know, failing to, to reach it last year, you know, after losing all these super important games, it was horrible for them. But as far as health goes, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping Anthony Marcian has an amazing game because he's a player, much like Killian and Bobby, a lot of players that I personally follow and write about, I hope he can have an amazing year because I want him to achieve success and I want him to have more opportunities playing for France. And he is currently on the French squad uh, for th- that's playing their first two Nations League games. But I want him to have more and more opportunities. I want him to become very well known. I want him to become famous, you know, and super well respected, you know, in the French Republic. I guess what I'm trying to say is I want him to become, you know, a major superstar because he's just he's just a really good player. Some people say he's overrated, but personally, I think he's underrated.
1: But um, but that'll it, yeah, be interesting to see what it's what it's doing here. I'm taking a look here for the the fixtures and everything. But for right now, the the first matches looks like they'll be on Saturday. So Fulham, Arsenal, uh, Crystal Palace, Southampton, West Ham, Newcastle, and then. Um, the the mouthwatering run next Saturday morning will be will be Liverpool versus Leeds. It's a
2: very exciting schedule, and um, and as I'm taking a look at it, is you know, Tottenham is taking on Everton, West Brom's taking on Leicester City, and speaking of Leicester City, I can't imagine how pissed off they are and how they're gonna fight. They're gonna fight tooth and nail to finish in the top four because just like Manchester United failing the previous year, they're more determined to to resurrect or to avenge what happened to them because Leicester City seemed set. Like Because nobody thought Manchester United was going to be able to come back, and they did. And they did it when it came down to the final game. So that's why Leicester City is pissed off and will do whatever it takes to get back on top.
1: Well, Leicester City also, they they punched way above their weight for a very, very large part of the first half of the season. I mean, Leicester City, you know, yes, they did win the EPL title five years ago, um, but it is not a big-money club. I mean, their only real notable signing in of the offseason was getting uh, Timothy Castagna, who's a Belgian right back, who played very well for Atalanta during uh, Atalanta's very impressive run in the, the Champions League and uh, in Serie A. But uh, I, I think you can argue. I, I mean, yes, I think it was disappointing how Leicester City kind of folded, you know, down the stretch for you know the last five or six games. But it, for for a club of limited means, it's really rather incredible that they were even able to to be in the conversation and I actually finished above clubs uh, that had a lot more money, like uh, like Arsenal. So uh, I think I think Brendan Rogers I, I think he did I think he got a lot out of that club last year.
2: Oh, absolutely, he did. And here's what's super interesting is that Jamie Vardy finished as the Premier League's top scorer last year with 23 goals.
1: Yeah, he continues to to produce. Uh, I think I know that there's more than a few fans that wonder, you know, what if uh, if Vardy had decided to leave. The, the Midlands and go to you know a, a bigger club in England, but uh, I mean he's happy playing at Leicester City. Uh, you know he's getting good results on the field, but I think now he's at a point in his career. I believe he's 32 now, so I think he's at a point now where it might be a little late as far as trying to make a big jump to to another team.
2: Probably. And you know another interesting thing is the goalkeeper Casper Schmeichel was tied for third in clean sheets with a total of thirteen. So, so you, and that, that that's your point right there. Despite the fact that they you know collapsed at the end, the fact that they were in the picture, that they were talked about, is a win for uh, Leicester City because Leicester City doesn't never really gets the, the the amount of respect that they deserve. I mean, as you mentioned, they did win the uh, Premier League five years ago and. Uh, what I like to remember best about that is that Engolo Conte was part of the club, and that's how he got his opportunity to go to Chelsea. That's just the reality. Like some of these clubs that nobody thinks about or doesn't give pay enough respects to, all of a sudden they're doing all these things. They're be- book, you know, they're beating the odds. They're putting up amazing performances. They're doing so many amazing things, and then all of a sudden everybody's eating their words. I mean, that's going to happen a lot in the Premier League. I mean, I, well, don't know, I don't know which clubs would do it next, but it's like I said before and many times, anything can happen in the Premier League.
1: Well, last year, uh, Wolverhampton, and this was a season last year after Wolverhampton came up from the EFL, and Wolves were just this close to getting uh, another Euro spot. Uh, the good news for Wolves is that I thought for sure that they were going to lose uh, Jimenez and Trioli. Who were just a, a fabulous upfront duo for for wolves last year, but uh, they were able to to keep them, which is is pretty amazing. I think that's that's very good news for for wolves fans. But I mean, they finished a a fairly amazing seventh place last year. They just faded just just at the stretch to miss out on one of the Europa spots, and then they also had a deep run. Making it into the quarterfinals of the of the Europa League Cup. So, uh, can they can they maintain that type of form after shocking everybody last year with their with their good results?
2: That's another thing that makes the Premier League so unique because we always have these questions: What if they can do it again? What if they can do this? And which brings my point about Chelsea: Can Chelsea win the EPL again? Can they actually dominate again? It all depends if if they can stay healthy because you know you know the young superstar Christian Pulisic. When we think about him, what worries us the most is you know he's injury prone, and in our case, you and me, Steve, what really worries us is because you know he represents a, a, the United States national team, and he's you know the guy that we look up to. Like we believe he's the future of Team USA. So when he's when he gets severely injured and we don't know how much how long is to live, uh, how long he's gonna be out. I'm sorry. It worries us because we feel like these injuries they change players. Like these players are never the same. Like if it alters his skills and his talent and his playing ability, it really scares the hell out of us.
1: Well, he has shown to be, you know, a bit a bit fragile, and it's unfortunate he injured a hammy, and he had been playing so well in the FA Cup final for Chelsea against Arsenal. Uh, scored a goal, scored a great goal and was uh, very dangerous but uh, got injured in the first half and he's going to miss Chelsea's first couple of games Uh, Chelsea did get some pretty decent reinforcements though in the offseason they were able to get Timo Werner to come in from Leipzig and then they got Thiago Silva to come over from PSG PSG, the French champs uh, and the recent losers in the in the European uh, Champions League final. Uh, Thiago Silva was lights out. um, Getting a little long in the tooth, but I think Thiago Silva and Werner, I think, will definitely uh, be very, very important weapons for uh, Frank Lampard over over at Chelsea.
2: I agree, and and, you know the signing of Timo Werner is very good because. You know he's young. I mean, he, he, some people say he's the German killing Mbappe, but but then again, it's merely just you know an opinion. It's or a comparison. They're just opinions, but he's a very good player, and I, I, you know he's the definitely the future of the German national team. Although there's there's still you know they still haven't picked up that winning groove yet. But as far as Pulisic goes, if yeah, I would not put him out until he's 100 percent like. They have to take all these precautions because he's a very valuable possession. Chelsea invested a lot to get this young man. So they can't afford to screw around with him, like to take all these unnecessary risks. Because it's not only a matter for Chelsea, it's like I said, it's a matter of the U.S. national team. I mean, we they, we need a very healthy Palisic. We need him at, at the top of his game. We need him when he's ready. So the best thing to do is wait until he's 100% see how he's doing, and then make the decision. Like, long story short, is do not rush the guy. (sighs) I get so worked up talking about Christian Pulisic because I've explained this before, Steve. Like, even though I am a Manchester United fan, I just cannot cheer against Christian Pulisic because he's just, he's an amazing player. Again, he represents the U.S. national team. And most of all, he's he's fun to watch and he's fun to write about, too. So it's very it's very hard for me to cheat against players who do that.
1: Well, he's he's got such silky smooth skills, and he's got a good head on his shoulders, and um, you know, the young man doesn't complain. He works really hard, and um, you know, I think that uh, he had, by any stretch of the imagination, I think he had a very very successful first year uh, in the EPL playing for Chelsea.
2: Absolutely, very successful. Just uh, The only hiccup was just the injuries. But his uh, performance on the pitch, phenomenal. And Christian, if you listen to this, keep up the good work, buddy. And and you're in my prayers, get well soon, buddy. So, now, one of the requests from from our fans is my official prediction for Manchester United as far as wins go. I have to be honest, that's pretty difficult because I've made a point many times that Manchester United has a reputation of being very unpredictable because we don't know how things is, are going to end up for them. Like if there's a game that everybody thinks they're going to lose, they end up winning. If it's a game that everybody thinks they're going to win, they end up losing or falling to a draw. But since I am the one I love helping out our giving our followers what they want, my answer is I think they win 20 games. That's the best I can I think right now, I think winning 20 games seems realistic. But as far as the rank goes, I think they are they have the potential of finishing in the top four again. But as far as them winning the APL title again, I mean, it, I know it'll happen again, but I don't think I see it happening within the next three years. I mean, Manchester United is in rebuild mode, and they're finally actually going in the right direction. And it takes time to rebuild a team, so... It's going to be a long time to it's going to be a long time for Manchester United to reach uh, to go back to its old successive and dominant form like from 2008 when they won the Champions League. But eventually it will happen again. But it take like I said it takes time. But for now the best thing to to predict would be for me to say 20 wins is is fair. I think Anthony Martial maybe be the, the club's top scorer providing he stays healthy. I think Pogba can do well with the passes. I mean, he and Bruno Fernandes can do well together. Again, if Pogba can stay healthy as well. But right now, it's hard for the biggest reason for me that it's so hard to predict is we don't know if they can stay healthy or not. And, of course, there's a the mentality as well. So, again, I mean, I'll give you an answer, 20 wins. But at the end of the day, all I can say is we have to wait and see because they're unpredictable. So how about you, Steve? what's your predict- right. uh, how many wins do you have for, uh, going for liverpool
1: i don't know about wins so much as you know total points um i think it's i think it's a team that's capable of i don't know if they'll be able to do as amazing of a season as they did last year or the year before but i think that it's a it's a it's a team that i think that's capable of say 92 93 points will that be enough to win this year Uh, I don't foresee anybody else being able to put together a a season that's going to be able to do that. Because, I mean, if you're talking about 96, 97, 98 points, I mean, that's pretty much you're only losing one, two games tops over the course of of the long season. And um, I just I don't think Liverpool is going to be – White as good as they were the previous couple of years, but I think it'll be good enough because I don't think I don't think the chasers have improved that much. although I will say uh, Arsenal, uh, some of those younger guys that they've got over at Arsenal, uh, Abba yang, uh, Asley maitland Niles, uh, Saka, They've got some really good young players in the Charity Shield match that Arsenal won uh, on penalties against Liverpool. To be really honest, I thought uh, even though Liverpool had the majority of the possession of the game when it came to who looked more dangerous on the break and really fast, I thought Arsenal looked the more uh, dangerous of the two sides. I think Liverpool looked like they had a little bit of better conditioning earlier on. And then, um, then, of course, Arsenal ended up winning on, on penalties. But um, but at this point, I, I think the team that's most likely going to challenge Liverpool this season, I think personally, is Chelsea. But I, I do think Arsenal is on the ascendancy, though. and uh, And this in spite of the fact that they were really... Pretty quiet in the off season. Uh, the only really notable players in my mind that Arsenal got uh, William, uh, the Brazilian, back from uh, Chelsea. They got him in the off season, which was kind of a curious move, getting a player who's pretty long in the tooth to come out. I guess they wanted his experience. And then uh, Megaldez, the Brazilian, who they picked up from the French club Lille. I think he's a he's a pretty good addition. But, um, but yeah, but I think at this point, I think Chelsea is the team that's most likely going to be challenging Liverpool this season.
2: Arsenal, I mean, set aside the jokes and, you know, the lack of uh, believe, everybody not believing in them, they're young. And they will, you know, just like Manchester United, they're working to go back to their old, successful and dominant form. Now, I'm sure somebody would ask me, Alex, do you believe that Arsenal will be once again the team they were in 2004 or better well i like i kind of like to say it's it's almost impossible to ever be as dominant as once before so i mean i mean they could want, again you know they could become you know the team they were in 2004 again or better I and mean, absolutely they could even be better but if if we're talking about being the exact same way i say no because really that never really happens i mean do you really see a team be exactly as good as they were once before I mean, not really. They always improve or kind of fall on something on some categories, but overall, Arsenal is—they're obviously not the team they were before. Like, you know, they're far from being that very dominant and successful team in two thousand four when you know there was a young Thierry Henry who was in his prime. But what we have to understand, folks, is that these things happen. A team goes through a long period of success and dominance, and then they have to go through an era of a bit of low success and, you know, and mediocrity. Manchester United's going through it. I mean, Arsenal's obviously going through it as well. I mean, Liverpool went through it too, did they not, Steve?
1: Oh, sure. I'm sure, Steve? Liverpool certainly had their years where they were kind of wandering through the wilderness trying to rebuild the club as well.
2: That, that That's the uh, chemistry of sports. I mean, there's always teams that have glory years, and then they have to go through bad times, and then they try to go back to, to that to that old era. But they know that they will never be as good as they once were before because in sports it just doesn't happen. I mean, the Chicago Bulls are a perfect example. We all remember how good they were during the days of Michael Jordan winning, you know, three-peating twice. And um, also, you know, my Dallas Cowboys, how they were dominant in the 90s and the way they are now. But, you know, that that can be explained in a bit of a different way, but we're not going to get to that right here. But the bottom line is Arsenal's going through what a lot of major sports teams do. And they will. They'll be good. They'll be good again eventually. And you know, as Steve mentioned, with all these young players, that's the steps of building a, a team. You take these young players. They train. They learn. And they improve. And when they hit their prime, they're ready to go. That's the the team's chance to prove its worth. And if they do good, then that's the, then they're taking that next step to returning to a dominant form. But as far as Arsenal goes, I think as them finishing. If they finish fifth and go to the Europa League, that's actually something to be proud of because they finished eighth last year. You know, not, and, and you know that, that's humiliating. You know, finishing eighth with 14 wins, 14 draws, and 10 losses with 56 points. I mean, for Arsenal fans, that's heartbreaking. But like I said, you have you have to go through these rough times to reach the the good times. I mean, just like me as a sports writer, I have to pay my dues for so many years and go through some very frustrating heart and, and, you know, sad moments, but you got to work hard and that's how you reach the top. I mean, I've been doing it for five years and I know I'm, and I I know I'm getting better and better every day. That's just the way of life. You think of it, think of it like this folks, a team is good, becomes bad and working hard to get back up. That's just the way of life. That's the best way to think of it.
1: Absolutely. One club we haven't talked about yet. We haven't really talked about Tottenham. Uh, They were able to get into a, Europa League spot. Um, they they were actually fairly quiet. You know, for a big club, they were actually fairly quiet in the offseason, too. They got uh, Joe Hart as a backup help at goaltender, and then uh, they picked up the Irish back. Uh, they got Matt Doherty from Wolves. Um, and then uh, they, they picked up the Argentinian midfielder, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso. Uh, They picked him up from Real Betis in Spain for some midfield help, but for a club of Tottenham's means, you know, it looks like the special one is going to have to get by on a pretty similar squad to what he had last year.
2: You know, Tottenham, well, it's just, they're they're, just like Arsenal, they're falling to an era of a bit of despair because they went from being the runners-up of the Champions League and now look at him. And they would fire their manager, and then, and then they would bring in Jose Mourinho. And sp- and honestly, I'll I'll give my honest opinion. Look, I get it. I mean, as a Manchester United fan, obviously there's all that a lot of Manchester United fans, you know, bear resentment towards uh, Mourinho. But look, as it, it, talking in a in a sports running perspective, we need to put aside all the bad things about him. Look, I get it. He's obviously his image doesn't. Is not the best looking at it, based on his reputation, but we have to look at his resume. He has won the Champions League numerous times with several clubs. He does have a resume of success, and look, and obviously, look. If if you go to a place and you know there's a fresh start, we don't know what he's, what how he's going to do his job. Look, but. You can't just blame, I mean, if, if, if people are just blaming Mourinho for Tottenham's failure last year, I mean, I can't say if it's right or wrong because, you know, you can't take a side because I don't have all the facts in front of me, but I just think that overall Tottenham needs to improve. It's not just Mourinho himself, but the whole team has to get better as a team. It's teamwork. You can't just point the finger at somebody. I mean, even during the times of Manchester United, while Mourinho had to take the blame for the team's failure, it was not just Mourinho. I mean, it's, it's a team sport. You win, you win and lose as a team. It's never well, really the right way to point the finger at one guy.
1: Well, I think Mourinho actually did a pretty good job of, of managing because uh, Tottenham wasn't even in the European places when, uh, when he took over. So I think his demeanor, what have you, I think it worked a lot better in Tottenham because he had totally lost the hearts and minds uh, in the locker room at Manchester United. But uh, but they seem to respond to him pretty well. But but Mourinho he seems to go. You know, once you get past two seasons with him, uh, he usually seems to wear his welcome out, or uh, you know, or decides he wants to move on to to greener pastures. So I think I think either way, my my gut feeling is I think regardless of where Tottenham finished this year, I think this will probably be Mourinho's last year uh, in, um, in North London.
2: You know, you're absolutely right because it's a fact. After two years, he, he wears out his welcome. But, but in this case, Steve, my question to you is, do you believe he's going to be able to finish out the season or he's likely to be fired during the season?
1: I think that he'll probably be able to finish the season out. But, you know, the, the guy loves drama and he loves conflict. So, um, if, if anything else, uh, Jose Mourinho is probably the the best gift ever to uh, people who are journalists who follow the game, uh, because he's always going to give you something to write about. That's for sure.
2: I mean, it's true. In my case, it's absolutely true. And here's something interesting, folks. Mourinho and my dad have something in common. They both live with a mentality to where. He's not there to be your friend. He does not care what you think of him personally. He's there to do his job. Mourinho lives. I think Mourinho kind of goes with that because Mourinho seems to me like the kind of guy he really doesn't give a damn what you think about him. I and mean, my dad's the same way because my dad's been, a, you know, in the brutal engineering world for over thirty years, and you know, growing up listening to his phone. You know, I mean, I would do that what kids do. You know, try to peek in and listen into those conversations where he's young on the phone. They both have this thing like, I'm not here to be your friend. It's not about friendship. It's merely business. So, but for, for, in that case for Mourinho, I mean, I do kind of respect that because, you know, it is true. He's not there to be your friend. He's there to do his job. And if you bring in a manager, I mean, if you're telling a manager how to do his job, I mean, seriously, I mean, come on. You, you don't need to do that. And obviously, Mourinho does things his way. If you don't like it, and after a fair amount of time, you fire him, but... But I like how you mentioned why he will finish out the season because it really would not look good for a club if they were to fire two consecutive managers during a season. Now you think about that. If a club were to do that, it would be a bad image on the club because the club would be looked at as a team that just can't hire and keep somebody. They're not effective. They don't take the hiring process seriously. But it is hard. To, it is hard to Hiring a manager is, is not an easy task, but... At the end of the day, you you got to bring in the, you know, the guy who you believe is the right guy for the job. Let him do his job the way he does it. And if you don't like it, you fire him. But I think it's it's right to say he, he's going to finish out the season. And if, if they go to a European... If they finish, the, finish fifth or sixth to go to the Europa League again, I mean, that is something to look forward to. I mean, it's better than not qualifying for anything. Let's keep that in mind. But Tottenham, overall, is determined... To once again compete in the Champions League, but as I mentioned before, they're just like Arsenal. They're like Manchester United. They're they're rebuilding. They're trying to the team's shattered. They're trying to put them glue themselves back together. And sometimes you don't put in the right piece at the right place. It falls down. You got to do it again. Th- that's the art of, of construction. I mean, it takes a while. And you know, like I said, uh, apart from the negativity about Mourinho, we we got to put it all aside. We just have to wait and see how the story plays out.
1: Well, I think too, though, that the idea of a manager being at a club for several years—a guy like uh, Sir Alex with Manchester United, or coaches uh, like Bill Shankly from years ago with uh, with Liverpool—you just you just you just don't see it that much anymore. The economics of the game have changed so much. I mean, even guys who are you know, very, very top flight managers in today, in today's game. I think still Carlo Ancelotti, this is a guy who has won, you know, pretty much everywhere. He's won three champions league titles, uh, between AC Milan and and Real Madrid. He's won national titles in Italy, in Spain, uh, in France when he was managing PSG. Um, Ancelotti is an excellent manager, and I mean, even he uh, has had kind of a gypsy type life too. I, I just think the the pressures and the the economic demands of the modern game. I just think the idea of a of a coach being able to last, say, five years or more, I think that's going to be very very rare.
2: I mean, especially a tenure that Sir Alex Ferguson had. I mean. I don't know if we'll ever see that again, to be honest.
0: Well, in
1: in my lifetime, i i think I think Sir Alex Ferguson is by far and away the great, greatest manager of my lifetime. I, I mean, just the incredible amount of success he had, and I mean, he he gave sort of a foretaste of that when he was coaching at Aberdeen in Scotland, and he wasn't even Aberdeen wasn't even one of the big clubs in Scotland. And, uh, you know, won a Scottish title with him, won a Scottish Cup. Uh, the, the trophy that really paved the way for him to go to Old Trafford was uh, his Aberdeen team that bait Real Madrid back in the 81 Cup Winners' Cup final. So, um, but people also forget, too, that there was a point in time early on when um there were people at Old Trafford that wanted to show Sir Alex the, the trapdoor as well. So uh, it it is a lot of a lot of pressure but uh, but by far and away uh, best manager in my lifetime by far.
2: I mean, he's amazing. I mean I watched him win the Champions League twice in ninety nine and two thousand eight and you know speaking of nineteen ninety nine I mean it's so ironic that the guy who who scores the game winner is, the, is now the manager of the club, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer.
1: <laughs> well, and, you know, he's going to have kind of a short leash, too. I mean, if he has, you know, a slow start again uh, this year, like, man, you had last year, uh, I don't know how, how much patience the people in the boardroom are going to have with, uh, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer.
2: I love. I always love the mentalities of the, of these you know long term managers. You know, like especially like Sir Alex. You know, I'm sure just like Mourinho, he, he never really let the fact that he, he never really cared about what people thought because look in life, don't never th- let what people think about you affect you. I mean, we all have to live through that mentality, not just Mourinho or my dad. And but for Sir Alex, I mean, people ask me how he lasted so long. I mean. I can honestly say because he's good, but as far as giving a a brilliant answer, I mean, Steve explained it already. Because Steve, because Sir Alex just knows how to manage well, and he has success. I mean, the more success you have, the longer you stay. I mean, what we have to keep in mind, folks, is that Sir Alex he retired, like he was not fired. He was he, he retired from the game. That that was his way of going out. But but Steve is absolutely right, folks. I mean, it's it's incredibly rare for a guy, you know, to last, you know. I think what was it you said? Five plus years. I mean, I mean, D. Deschamps is, is already, you know, with France. I mean, with France, I don't remember a French manager, you know, managing the national team last that long. And you know, and another guy who doesn't care what people think about and who takes that seriously is, is Deschamps. I mean, the French media is known for, you know, for criticizing, you know, when, when controversial decisions are made. But Deschamps just counters it and gives his reasons. And really, he's like, I don't care what y'all think. I made the decision. It's done. It's getting so worked up to talk about the mentality of a manager. I mean, it's just the way of life, Steve. I mean, I'm sure you agree. Like, who cares what people think about you? Just be yourself. Do what you think is right. At the end of the day, you can prove them wrong, right?
1: You have to be really mentally tough to be a coach uh, because you're, you're having to manage the personalities of, you know, multimillionaires in your locker room when you're, when you're managing one of the big clubs you're having to deal with the pressures of dealing with the boardroom and all the politics that come with the boardroom. You're having to deal with uh, the press trying to find new ways to sharpen their knives to try to skewer you. Uh, so, yeah, I I have a lot of respect for anybody who is is a manager, especially on any of the top flight clubs or if you're – a manager of a national team on one of the really top-flight countries like Argentina or Brazil or Germany or Spain or France. Sometimes I
2: like to say, if you're a manager who was once a player for the national team, your mentality actually is so unique that you you have an advantage over a guy who didn't really, who did not play. And Dish, I mean Dishon definitely has it, but. Speaking of Deschamps, we have a, a request from our anonymous fan, but we'll get to that at the end. And it's, it's actually a surprise because this question is going to surprise many of you. But now that we wrap up the Premier League, uh, Steve, do you have any uh, predictions on the who can win the Champions League next year? Or, or this year, I should say, this season?
1: This current 2021, um, Byron's loaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they... They are absolutely in in the ascendancy. I think I don't I don't think Liverpool could beat them right now. I don't think Real Madrid could beat them right now. Now, granted, it's 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 a marathon race. It's it's not a sprint, and things can change over the course of a season. But I'll tell you what, that Bavarian side is really loaded uh, at at this point for the Champions League. I think I, I look for Bayern Munich to repeat.
2: I mean, they're actually, they're my official prediction. I And I, and I said this last time uh, in, in our last episode. Bayern Munich is my prediction to win it again. I, because, you know, like you said, they're loaded. But it's not the talent that makes them dangerous, Steve. It's their mentality and their team chemistry. It's phenomenal. That's how they won because we talked about this last time. PSG was better athletic-wise and talent-wise. But Bayern Munich... Was better mentally, and that's what, how they were able to take a one nothing lead and keep it that way. Because PS, PSG would threaten and threaten and threaten, but Bayern Munich would find a way at the last second to bail themselves out. That's the mentality that I'm talking about. As far as obviously the other favorites, I mean Real Madrid. I don't know yet. I mean Real Madrid, you know, eliminate being eliminated in the round of sixteen two consecutive years. After winning the title for th- three straight times, I mean, Real Madrid is a- is a long way from being the team they once were. I mean, I think now we can say, I mean, they're a shell of what they were a couple years ago. But since they are Real Real Madrid, I mean, I guess realistically, they are a favorite as well as Juventus, Barcelona. You know, just to name a few. I mean, Manchester City as well. Obviously, Liverpool. I mean, all these big clubs are obviously always favorite. But as far as Manchester United being a favorite, I say no. They're, they're definitely not a favorite. I mean, I think realistically, Manchester United could probably make it to the quarterfinals, but right now I have them probably losing in the round of 16. But we'll see. Uh, because the one thing to keep in mind, I can't make a, we can't make our official official predictions yet because the groups have not been drawn yet, and the draw date is going to be October 1st. And the the first game, uh, the first group game, match day number one is will be October 20th and the 21st. But at this point we can just say these big heavyweight teams are always I mean they're always considered favorites, but to make them super official, we have to wait till the groups are drawn. Alright, so now we're done with Champions League. Now, Steve, a couple of days ago, you sent me a text message about a player named Eduardo Camavinga, A French 17-year-old midfielder, and folks. I, I did say this on Twitter, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm being 100% honest. I had never, ever, ever heard of this guy until Steve mentioned him. And I'm, just, well, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off, but some of these players, in my case, I don't hear about them until they until they represent their national team. What's so ironic is that he was the replacement for Paul Pogba after Pogba tested positive for COVID-19. Didier Deschamps called this guy up instead.
1: Well, part of it is that he can fly below the radar, I think, for a lot of people. He plays at Rennes, which is a a team in Brittany in France, which is not a real, real big team. Uh, They won the French Cup a couple of years ago. They surprised PSG. But uh, it was also, for American fans might remember, that uh, Carlos Bocanegra played a couple of seasons with Rennes as well. But uh, this young man interesting that his family had moved to france the he was born in angola but the family moved to france uh when he was two and interesting that they chose to go to france and not go to to portugal otherwise the portuguese system might have reaped the benefits of this young man but by all accounts he's a player and um I think this will probably be his, his last year in Brittany. I don't know if he'll be able to make the whole season at Wren if come winter transfer window and somebody is going to be waiving um, just too good of an offer to refuse for Wren for to let him go. But, uh, but the young man is a talent, and he got to play the other day when uh, France beat Sweden. Uh, they were very economical. Uh, they s- scored their only goal on their only shot on goal for the entire game in beating Sweden, and it was by your favorite guy, Mbappe. He got the goal, but but yeah, you know the the French system just keeps s- seeming to to crank out all this almost interminable uh, amount of talent through their system.
2: Hey, hey Amen. And you know, and speaking of Eduardo, there's a f- sad story about him that. When he was in school, there's a story about how how his family house was burned down. I mean, you know, it is amazing. I mean, this he has a story just like Kylian Mbappe. He has a story. I mean, I think just like Mbappe, this guy, you know, comes from a poor family, you know, who, who probably you know lived in, in a in a rough place and had very little. That's what makes the best stories about footballers, folks. These kids that that all of a sudden you know they're on the national team. We all study him. We, we do our research. We come. We find out they come from nothing. I mean, I think in the history of French, the French national team, I mean, there's a long history of players who became superstars who came from absolutely nothing. I mean, Zidane obviously, you know, came. From, I believe came from a poor family. I mean, Mbappe, uh, Lilian Turam. It's a history. And those players who come from nothing, they have the best motivation because they're determined to do their best. They're living their dream, and they worked hard for it. And I have no doubt in my mind that Eduardo Camavinga really has a future with the national team. And he, here's an article about him that is. It just shows how humble he is. You know how you know focused he is. It's a story about him explaining that Paul it inspires him, but he says, and I quote, "But I don't like comparisons much." He reminds. So basically, he has the, a similar mentality to Kylian Mbappe because we all remember when Mbappe was a. Uh, Coming onto the scene, people were comparing him to Thierry Henry, and he went out and said, I appreciate, I appreciate that, but at the end of the day, it's just an opinion. I mean, that really what it is. I mean, a comparison is simply an, an opinion. And, and I'm sure Eduardo knows that. You know, rather than worrying about being the next Pogba or the next Zidane, he needs to be worried about being himself. Indeed. You know, there's a couple of questions right here from this article. Like, how did he feel, you know, when he entered Claire Fontaine, meaning the squad, and he says, you know, joy, pride, and honor. And he, and he, you know, he even asked, like, if, like, here's this question. They asked him, do you realize that you could become one of the youngest players in the, in the history of the French national team? And his answer, it says, I saw it, but that's not what's important to him. He explains that what's important to him is that he's playing for the national team? That he's representing France. I mean, he's not worried about being the youngest player. He's just he's just happy with the fact that he gets to play for France and that he has a chance because the French youth football system, the all the names out there, there's an infinity amount of names. It's you know you have to be lucky to get to get chosen, and he was one of those lucky guys.
1: Well, you know he's got his he's got his chance. He's got his got his opening now and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see if this young man is going to be the next star of the French national team.
2: Yes, and you know what's sad is, uh, they said, like, before the, the whole COVID started, his transfer, like, value was 90 million euros. And unfortunately, obviously, unfortunately because of this whole pandemic, it obviously dropped. But, but for me, like, he still has his talents. Like, he still has his playing ability. And you know what? Now that he proves himself even further... I think he'll turn out to be more expensive than he ever was.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, uh, Ren is going to make a lot of money on this transfer to be sure. And speaking
2: of transfer, um, I saw that Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid are already considering trying to bid for the guy. I mean, there was a a source that said that at this point Eduardo is a bigger priority than Kylian and Pape. I think at this point, I, I think killing Mbappe to Real Madrid I think that that's dead in the water I really I, I think at this point it's safe to say it may not happen because with psG being this good I mean he may he's probably gonna stay there for a couple more years and then by the time he's maybe 25 27 years old I think another bigger t- another another team's just gonna swipe him I mean if but it doesn't surprise me all of a sudden you know PSG's in the picture I mean PSG with all that money I mean they can pretty much go after whoever they want right
1: well, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's not unlike, you know, a lot of the other countries in Europe, too. Bayern Munich, uh, pretty much any really good young player that Dortmund has usually ends up in a Bayern Munich shirt. Uh, Juventus in Italy, you know, pretty much the same thing. Real Barcelona in Spain. Uh, so, yeah, again, that that's the, the economic reality of the game that we have now.
2: It is. And you know what's so amazing? He's at 17 years old. He's the youngest player since World War II to be called up from France. <laughs> I mean, just imagine. You're 17 years old. You're, you're representing your country, but not at a youth level. You are at the senior squad. You are at the top flight. You are playing alongside some of the most expensive and talented and well-known players in the world. You are being coached by a man Who's one of the only three guys in history to win the World Cup as as a player and as a coach? I mean that it doesn't get better than that. I mean this is a I mean this is a dream come true, and he's achieved it at the age of seventeen. Um, now as far as, as his future goes, I mean I really do believe he he's gonna he's going to do well for the French national team. I'm sure that he and Mbappe, you know, as Mbappe, you know learns more and this guy learns more these guys can actually get along famously you know Eduardo can make a couple of passes to him and then Bobby can score I mean there's so much potential there's so much excitement we've said this before Steve like the French Football Federation has so many talented players in their youth it's very difficult to choose who to call up next when it's time to move on to a new generation
1: well, and you've got and you've got the competition there that that's ready. I mean, right now, uh, Antoine Griezmann, he seems to be kind of on the downward trend right now. Uh, he had a fairly awful year with Barcelona last year, but you know he was he was pretty much uh, a non-factor uh, in in France's win against Sweden. I mean, they only had one shot on goal the entire game, and, um, you know, he's just just not producing like he was a couple of years ago. So, uh, so okay, fine. Uh, if Griezmann seems to be kind of on the other side of things, well, just lock and load another young, young talent from your system. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice predicament that France seems to have. Very well said. And we're going to go ahead and
2: wrap this up, folks. The last thing is the request, and the request is this. Will Eric Cantona and Didi Deschamps ever reconcile? Oh,
0: no. <laughs> oh boy! And I
2: mean, no. No way. No way. And <laughs> if, if, as we're wrapping this up, let me go ahead and just, I'm, I'm going to give the answer perfectly clear. Steve explained this before. These guys have hated each other since these guys were young men, like the young, probably younger than me. And these guys, you know, are in their you know mid to late. You know, I mean, Deschamps and they're about like the same age range. I mean, they're in their fifties and they've hated each other for thirty years. I think it's safe to, I mean, let's not forget, Cantona described Deschamps as, quote, the water carrier of the national team. And let's not forget Deschamps, when when Cantona was, you know, banned from the team, lost the captaincy rank, Deschamps took over as captain and went on to win the World Cup and the Euro for France. And not to mention four years ago, that defamation lawsuit that Deschamps filed against Cantona for accusing him of being racist. So I think there's plenty of evidence there. They will never, ever. Shake hands again? They will. They probably will. They'll never be friends again. I mean, they probably they were never friends. Honestly, never.
1: No, it's just it's uh, total oil and oil and water, cats and dogs. Yeah, that that's never gonna happen.
2: I mean, if they do, then great. But really, realistically, there's no freaking way it'll happen. I mean, Dishon will probably say, "I don't think of him on a daily basis." Well, you know what? He probably say, "I don't even think about him at all." Hmm. Well. Folks, that is it. And as we wrap this up, I have a quick, couple of quick uh, short announcements to make. The, like Next week, I will begin the Cowboys Talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast, which was also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, and YouTube. My good friend and editor, Darnell the Playmaker Solins, will be my first guest as his Los Angeles Rams take on my Dallas Cowboys. And just so you all know, Steve will also be a guest on the show when his Vikings take on my Cowboys. It all starts next week. So, Cowboy fans, if you listen to this, get ready to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Last thing I want to say is a reminder that the Bear of Texas podcast is proudly paired up with the Playmakers blog. Please check out the website, theplaymakersblog.com. Once again, theplaymakersblog.com. There's plenty for you to look forward to. Steve, thank you so very much for sitting with me today. I look forward to having you on again. Good to join you, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Goodbye, everybody.